You can scoot over next to somebody and look on with them. Or you don't have to. You could. We come to the Bible, James 1.19. We're going to read uh, the rest of chapter 1, then the first nine verses of chapter 2. Tonight we're going to talk about response is everything. Response is everything. So let's read. Starting at verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow. If you've got a King James of superfluity, that means overflow or, or excess or abundance of wickedness. And receive with meekness the implanted or engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Look at these next words. Deceiving yourselves. The worst deception is self-deception. Deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed, blessed, will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, now here's the second time he says it, and deceives his own heart. There is self-deception mentioned twice in one, one chapter. This one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. Chapter 2, verse 1. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit here at my footstool or in a lesser place. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges who reveal your evil thoughts? That's what he's saying. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? and heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those that love Him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you, drag you into courts, and so on and so forth. Don't they blaspheme, verse 7, that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Lord, thanks for Your Word. Bless it to our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you. Turn to your neighbor and tell them it's going to be good tonight. You can be seated. Now, last week we talked about the difference between testing and temptation. The difference between a test and a temptation. But tonight we're going to look at what a godly response is in trials. How do you respond? Now, I learned a long time ago, and I learn it more and more all the time, that response is everything. Can we say that together? Response is everything. When you look at the teachings of Jesus, 
all the time when he, when he presented a, a trial or, or a predicament or a circumstance that we would encounter as believers, you will notice that he focused on our response far more than he focused on the event itself. So you got, bless those that curse you. Now he's not focusing on the cursor. He's focusing on the response. Do good to those that hate you. You do good. When you're hated, he didn't focus on the hater. He focused on our response to the hater. Do good, do good to those that hate you. Then, how about those that are persecuting you? He said, pray for those who are persecuting you. Notice, every time, he's focusing on response. Now, James, in this letter that we're looking at, is focusing on response to trial, not on the trials themselves. Way more on the response to trials. You know, whether or not the trial kills you doesn't depend on the trial. It depends on your response. The same sun that melts butter hardens clay. Some people, when they go through trial, it hardens their heart. They get mad at God. They have a negative response to it and they walk away. They leave church. They leave prayer. They leave the Word. They leave Him. It happens all the time. But the same sun, the same trial that hardens some people melts others. And we're going to see tonight that James is going to teach us when you go through a trial, let it drive you to Him, not away from Him. How many of you know somebody? Probably several people. I remember one of the biggest shocks to me after I first came to the Lord. Uh, you know, we used to go street witnessing all the time, and, and uh, that was just one of the things you did. We witnessed anything moving. And um, we go out on the streets. Well, you would get persecuted a lot. This was in the early 70s. I'm going to date myself here, but it was like 72, 73, in the middle of the Jesus movement. We'd go out there and witness the people, and you would get persecuted all the time. And I remember uh, the guy that baptized me in Lake Dallas. He was zealous. He was fervent. He loved the Lord. I mean, he was really taken by Jesus. Um, just sold out. And I remember one day being told that this guy had totally turned against the Lord. So I couldn't believe it. So I went to his house because I wanted to find out if it was true. You know, you should always go to the horse. Never listen to an unsubstantiated, unsubstantiated rumor. Never. Because rumors fly everywhere. Don't ever listen to it unless you go to the horse. Go right to the horse. And uh, so I went to the horse. And I said, hey, his name was John. I said, what is this that I'm hearing? And he, he immediately began to curse and he, even in my presence, cursed the Lord. And I said, what has done this to you? And as he began to talk, it occurred to me, he began to spew out some persecutions he had gone through. Some people who had turned on him. And he had gone through some kind of a trial with his father. Something had happened to his father. And because he did, did not encounter God doing what he thought God was going to do, when he thought God was going to do it, the way he thought God was going to do it, that trial hardened him. Now, was it the trial that hardened him? No. Uh-uh. No. No. It was his response to the trial. I'm going to tell you something, folks. I'm going to say it again. Response is everything. Because <clears throat> trials don't take people down. <clears throat> 
Difficulties don't take people down. What takes people down is their response to the trials, their response to difficulties. This is what James is telling us. <clears throat> That's why he said, count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing, knowing, knowing that the trying of your faith works patience, so on and so forth. Now, he's going to share with us several responses to trial. Look at verse 19. He says, there's three things you've got to watch when you go into trial. Are you ready? You've got to watch your ears, you've got to watch your tongue, and you've got to watch your anger. You've got to watch what you listen to, you've got to watch what you say, and you've got to watch your anger. He says, be swift to hear. <clears throat> be swift to hear. You know, folks, the most important thing you can do the minute you enter into a trial is listen. You need to listen to the Word of God. Get up in the morning and listen to the Word of God. When you go to bed at night, listen to the Word of God. Go ask old Job. Ask him if it matters what you listen to. Because the minute you enter into a trial, lots of things are going to try to speak into your ear. Job had Job's counselors. He had three friends who really were not very wise men. And they came to Job and they began to speak into his ears things that, that did not represent God that were not the truth about what God was doing in his life. And Job learned, you've got to be very careful what you listen to. I wish God had given us ear lids, like he gave us eyelids, but he didn't. But he did give us fingers to stop them up. There are some things you should never, ever listen to. Folks, when you're in a trial, you need to be very selective what you listen to. James said, be swift to hear. He's going to tell us in a minute, be very slow to speak, because... In a trial, folks, we're under stress. Oftentimes we're confused. It might be a financial trial, a relational trial, a temptation trial, a family trial, a physical trial. But the minute you enter, enter into a trial, you've got to watch what you hear, you've got to watch what you say, and you've got to watch your anger because you're under stress. You're under pressure. Trials put us under pressure. So he said, be very, very swift to hear. Now, what is it that we need to hear more than anything else? We need to hear God. We need to hear God. We need to hear God. You know, I said it at the beginning when I was taking up the offering, but I'm going to say it again because this is so true. Seeking Him is the way you get an answer. Now, there are counselors abound when you're in a trial. And you can go to a counselor. I have nothing against counselors. But I've learned this. You can go to one counselor and you're going to hear one thing. You can go to another one and you're going to hear something else. And when it gets right down to it, when you're in a trial, James is telling us, more than anything else, you need to hear God. Because he's talking. That's why he says immediately after talking to us about multitudes of trials, many trials, he says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Ask of God. He didn't say go to counselors and ask them to ask God for you. Because you'll get, you'll get ten different, thus saith the Lord's. From well-meaning people. But I've learned. I've learned something. God can talk to me. God can talk to me. This week I've been seeking God. This morning I was up at 6.30 in the morning. <clears throat> had a great time in the Word of God. And you know what? During that time in the Word of God, He spoke to me. It may just be two words. It may be one word. 
It may be an impression on your heart. You know what? I've, I've seen that sometimes after you've been with the Lord, you can get up and walk away. And when you're walking away, when you're not even praying anymore, not even asking Him anymore, and you start going about your business, with me it's always making coffee. And, and somebody, uh, Frank back there, they brought me back, that Hawaii, they brought me back some coffee from Hawaii. And it's, it, it needed to be ground up, and, and, and you know, I've got a grinder. And this morning, you know, that, that motivates me to get up. <coughs> it just does. It motivates me to get up. The best way to start the day, what is that Folgers commercial? It's really true. If I was ever to get one of those percolators that, that had the timer and, and got it going before I ever got out of bed, I guarantee you the aroma would get me out of bed. But a lot of times I've noticed after you have been with God, prayed, been in the Word for a while, and gotten up and you're done, you're finished, and, and, and you close your Bible and you walk off, that's when He talks to you. Right when you're just walking down the hall. When you're driving to work after you've been in prayer, that's when He talks to you. But you know what the guarantee is? That after you have spent time with Him, He will talk to you. He will talk to you. Today, I was done in the Word. I had closed the Bible. Now, the Word spoke to me. Um, it always does. But it was after I closed it, after I got up, after I went in to actually make some coffee, that's when the rhema word came to my heart. He just, just like, just like that manna that was always there in the mornings for the children of Israel. It was always there. And it says in the Bible that if they didn't gather it early, it rotted. Now see, there's, there's something there for you and me. If you don't gather that word first thing, it has a way of rotting. Have you ever tried to get into the word of God and into prayer after you've already taken care of business in the morning? You turn on that TV and you hear the news, you know, mayhem, war, bombs, terrorists. How in the world are you going to get with God after you've watched that? You know, there, it, it's, it's more, the, the more you do in the mornings before getting with Him, the more difficult it is to hear from Him. I've noticed that. That manna rotted unless they gathered it first thing. And so, it's, if you get with Him, it says be swift to hear. If you're in a trial especially if you're in a trial, whatever it happens to be, something's pressing on you. Something's weighing down on you. You need an answer. You're in a perplexity. You don't know what to do. You're in a fog. You're in the fog of trial. You're groping. You're wondering, do I go to the left? Do I go to the right? What do I do? That's when you need to be swift to hear. Get up and seek God. James said in trial, that's the first thing you do. In temptation, that's the first thing you do. Then he said, be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. Proverbs 17, 28. Of course, the Proverbs are loaded with uh, messages about the tongue and uh, how to walk in wisdom and what you say. But Proverbs 17, 28. I like this. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. Even a fool. If a fool, if a dunce just keeps his mouth shut, people assume he's wise. I mean, folks, there's something to be said for just being quiet, especially when you're in a trial, especially when you're in a trial. Because, folks, you need to be listening, not talking. When you're in a trial, you need to be listening. 
Listening for God. Listening for counsel. Listening for the Word of the Lord that's for sure going to come to you. George Herbert said this, Into a shut mouth, flies fly not. Now, there's a lot of wisdom in that little statement. Into a shut mouth, flies fly not. Into a shut mouth, flies fly not. There's nothing worse than a bug flying into your mouth. How many of you have ever been riding a bike and had that happen? I have. I, I, I ride, I rode today. And uh, I love riding a 10-speed a, a racer. And I was cooking down, a, I go down this one country road every time I go. And last year, I remember, last year, I was really booking down this country road. About 30 miles an hour, I got a speedometer. And going down this one hill, I can put it in high gear. And I hit 30. That's fast. On a little skinny, tired racing bike, that's fast. I'm cooking, and of course you're breathing hard because you're pushing. And I mean a bug bypassed my teeth and my tongue and hit the back of my throat. And I remember thinking, I'm going to choke to death on my bike. I'm going to sit right here going 30 miles an hour and I'm going to choke to death on my bike. Because <clears throat> for just a second there, you could feel the thing crawling around trying to get out. Well, I started hacking and coughing and, you know, wheezing and I didn't know what it was. Of course, the worst thing it could be was something with a stinger. But, I mean, it just went straight in. And you know what's worse than that, though? Here's what's worse than that. Saying the wrong thing. Saying something. Because you know what? Words are like email. When you hit send, it's gone. Wherever you send it, it is not coming back. How many of you have ever hit send on an email and thought, oh, uh-oh, uh-oh, and wanted to bring it back because you thought, I said something I shouldn't have said. Never send an email in anger. Never send an email. Read emails real carefully because once you hit send, it's gone into cyberspace. It's gone to who you sent it to, and you can't get it. But you can't call them and say, I just sent you an email. Don't get it. You know what they're going to do. That's like saying, don't think pink. They're going to think pink. They're going to get that email immediately. All right, listen. you got more chance of getting an email back than you do a word to a person. In person. You can't get it back. He said you better be very slow to speak. It's easy to run off at the mouth and say things that you should not say when you're in a trial. It's easy to run off at the mouth and say things. And once you say it, you can't get it back. You know, they say for every negative thing you say to a person, you've got to say how many, something like 20 things to undo, 20 positive things to undo one negative. 20 positive to undo one negative. Because there's such power in negative words. So be swift to hear. When you're in a trial, just be quiet. Just hold your peace. Don't catch flies in your mouth. Hold your peace. And be a listener and say, God, you know what? I'm in a trial. I'm in a temptation. I'm in a financial trial. I'm in a family deal here. I need to hear from you. So I'm just going to be real. You know, it's a sign of humility to just zip up your mouth. Have you ever been around people who, who really, you, you, could, you could power a windmill by the perpetual motion of their mouth? They never stop talking. They just never stop talking. 
I've been around people that talk so much, it made me tired just listening to them. I knew that if I was talking like they were talking, I would have fainted. I would have hyperventilated. I don't know how they get the breath to talk as much as they do. And they're always just going on. Listen, somebody that talks that much, folks, listen, they say nothing. Wisdom, I like being around people that when they say something, they say something. Amen? Got real quiet in here. Maybe I got some talkers in here. You know, some of you, if you're big time talkers, if you were just to be quiet, just be quiet for a while, you would throw everybody who knows you into shock. And they would go, wow, wow, they're wise. How many of you can remember a time when you just wish you had shut up? You just wish. When you're in a trial, James said particularly when you're in a trial, listen to God, listen for God, and say very little. Just go about your business and say very little because God's talking. He wants you to be quiet. He said, now, not only that, but be slow to anger because in a trial, you get snappy. You're under stress. You fly off the handle easily. You're feeling the pressure of whatever it is. And I think that James said, be slow to anger because the, the wrath of man, the anger of man, does not produce righteousness. It does not produce righteousness. It does not produce the fruit of the Spirit. It does not produce righteousness. Anger is an extremely destructive thing. It says if you're an angry person, then we have to constantly deliver you, the Proverbs uh, say, because as soon as you blow your stack one minute, you're going to go do it again. And the Bible says, if you're not an angry person, don't hang around with an angry person lest you be snared by their habit of getting angry. Because anger is a learned response. And response is everything. Anger is a learned response to adversity. That's why he says don't hang around with somebody who's blowing the stack all the time. You will learn that response to adversity. That's not the response we want. We want quiet and we want a listening ear we don't want anger he says don't get angry easy he says let trial and this is what i hear james saying to us notice this now let trials drive you to the word not into sin look at verse 21 he says therefore therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness now why is he telling us that because when you're in a trial, listen folks, the same sun that melts butter hardens clay. Some people, when they get in a trial, it leads them into sin. Here's how they do it. They say, well, God's left me. God's forsaken me. He's not with me anymore. He's not around anymore. So what they do is they use the trials as an excuse to go into sin. I've seen it happen over and over again. They use trials as an, as an excuse to go into sin. So he's saying here in verse 21... Therefore, in light of all these things, don't get angry. Don't talk much. Listen to God. Listen for God. Wait on God. Turn your ear to God. Just like David always did when David came under attack. When he came under trial, it always says, David sought the Lord. He sought the Lord over and over again. He sought the Lord. He said, what do I do in this trial? Do I attack this enemy? Do I not attack them? How do I attack them? He was always seeking the Lord. He, said, he says, let it turn you to God. Receive with meekness. Here's what you do in a trial. You receive with meekness 
the engrafted Word, which is able to save your soul. Suke, the Greek word, suke, your mind, your will, your emotions. The Word of God will save your mind and your will and your emotions in trial. The Word of God will save it. It doesn't save your soul for heaven. It saves you from going crazy. It saves you from going nuts. It saves you from losing it. It saves you from becoming an angry, crazy nut in trials. That's exactly what He's telling us. He said, receive with meekness. Receive, receive with meekness the engrafted Word which is able to save your soul. Lay aside all filthiness, all wickedness, and turn to the Word. Turn to the Word. Now look at verse 22 through 25. He said, when you turn to the Word, be doers. Be doers of what you read. When you turn to the Word, be sure when you turn to it that you're a doer of what you're reading and not just a hearer. And he gives us an illustration. He says this. He said, the Word is like a mirror. Now I want you all to take your Bibles and hold them up just like this. And let me show you what he's saying here. He said, if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. Now, do this, just like you're looking in a mirror. Smile at it, just like you're looking in a mirror. Check your teeth out, just like you're looking in a mirror. It says, he observes himself. Are you observing yourself in that mirror? He observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. <clears throat> now, hold it up. Now, look at it for a minute. Now, here there are two things you're going to see when you look in this Word. The first thing this Word is going to do is going to show you Jesus and His righteousness. That's what you're going to see. You're going to see Him reflected in this Word. This morning I read uh, in, in James, and I read some Psalms and Proverbs. Well, I saw God, and I saw Jesus in the Word. And, and every time I look in this Word, there, His face is reflected to me. And you know what I, happens when I see it? It shows me what I should be. I see His perfection. I see His love. I see His patience. I see His mercy. I see His purity. I see His power. I see His loving kindness. I see His long-suffering. I see His gentleness. I see the miracles that He did. When I look in this Word, I see Jesus reflected to me every single time. Now, you know what happens when I see that? I see the zits on my own face. I see the blemishes. I see the faults in me. Because when I see Him, I see me held up against Him, and I see the areas in my life that need work and correction. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? Doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. That we may be thoroughly furnished and prepared for every good work. 2 Timothy 3.16 So, all Scripture is given God-breathed. Theonoustos. God literally breathed out this Word. And why did He give it to us? For correction, for instruction in righteousness. And how does that come to us? When we look at it, we see Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. 
I never read the Word that it doesn't stick me, prick me a little bit somewhere, somehow, some way. No matter on my best day. Why does it do that? Because we see the perfection of Him. We see the perfection of God. And that's why it's a mirror. Now, here's what James is saying. <clears throat> when you see Him and then you see you held up against Him and God talks to you out of this Word says, you know, you ought not get angry like you do or you ought not... Um, have the fears that you do, or you ought not walk in doubt like you're walking, and it strengthens your faith, and it digs around, it probes. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing. Hebrews 4, I think either 12 or 16. Piercing. The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than two-edged sword. Piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. The Word of God is the only thing that can separate soul from spirit. The joints and the marrow, and it discerns, it probes, it reveals, it exposes the thoughts and the motivations of our heart. So that when I read it, I go, oh, ow, ouch, ouch. That's why some people will not go to a church where the Word is preached. I'll tell them, well, I visited some churches, and I guarantee you, I could have been living like hell on earth and not been convicted for one minute in this place because there was no word. There's a lot of people duck and dodge a word church and they'll say, oh, they, you know, I don't like the worship. And, I, I don't like the pre. I, I don't like the building. <coughs> what they really don't like is the word probing into their heart and revealing the motivations of their heart. But it's a good thing. It's a good thing because it says God chastens us so that we will not be judged with the world. Okay? So, he says, when you are looking in the mirror, when you read your Bible in the morning, just remember, it's a mirror. You're going to see two things. You're going to see Him and you're going to see you. When you see the blemishes, the faults and all that, where you are, where you are, according to the Word of God, he says, don't put it down. Close it and walk away and forget what you saw. Because if you walk away and forget what you saw, you're a hearer, but you're not a doer. Because when you see the blemish or the faults or the shortcomings, the Word is always going to tell you what to do about it. Then you're supposed to walk out and respond to the Word of God. Let me tell you something, folks. The Bible talks about <clears throat> hearing the Word, but it not being mixed with faith. You can hear the Word and not mix it with faith. There are people who study the Bible only for intellectual reasons. They don't want to grow in Christ. They don't want to grow spiritually. They study it. You know, college professors, seminary professors. Listen, I've known a few. They love, because they're intellectuals, they study it because they want to go into the historicity of the Word. They want, to, they want to go into the languages. They want to go into whatever it is, the, the cultures of, of ancient peoples, whatever it is that drives them to it. But they do not go to it mixed with faith that it will change them. It says receive with meekness. The Word engrafted. The only way something gets engrafted in you, I'm going to get this tape, Because the only way the Word gets engrafted... Listen, if something is engrafted, if something is grafted, 
It literally becomes a part of what you grafted it into. The Bible says that we were grafted into the blessing of Messiah that was originally intended for Israel. We got grafted as Gentiles. We got grafted in. Read Romans. When you, when you graft something onto something else, it eventually becomes a part of it. He says, receive with meekness the Word. Receive the Word on such a level that it literally becomes a part of you. The only way to do that is, wow, look at Jesus. His love, His patience, His perfection. Uh-oh. Now look where I fall short there. And here's what the Word is telling me to do. Not to doubt, not to be angry, not to have fear, whatever. So you fill yourself with that Word. You close it and you walk out. And, you, and that day you make it a part of your life to respond. Not just a hearer in closing it, but a doer. A doer. That means you make what you read a part of your life. Like, you know, if you were to read about prayer and you weren't much of a prayer and you read about Jesus praying and God spoke to you out of the Word and, 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 and as you looked at Jesus, His reflection in the mirror and you saw you, well, you know, I'm not praying much at all. And, and the Word said, you know, pray and here's how you pray and here's when you pray and you need to pray and so on and so forth. All right. Then, then if I'm a hearer, I shut it and say, wow, that was a good sermon. And I totally forget and do not apply at all what I read. If I'm a doer, I say, when can I pray more? <clears throat> I will set aside time. I will continue to read about prayer. God, will you help me to pray more? And the next day, you put feet to your faith and you move on what you read now you're a doer and not just a hearer. James said, if you hear and don't do, he said, literally, you cheat yourself. He says you deceive yourself. And that word deceive in the Greek language is literally cheat. <coughs> Excuse me. You cheat yourself. You cheat yourself. You're cheating yourself. If you do not, do what you read. Okay? Uh, look at verse 25 for a minute. He says, in verse 25, He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Now, do you see that little phrase, looks into, he who looks into? Turn to John 20 and verse 5 for a minute. Let me just show you something. John 20 and verse 5. Now, here you got one of the disciples. Actually, it's John. John outran Simon Peter. It says in verse 4, and John... And Peter were running to the tomb. They have been told that it's empty, that Jesus has risen from the dead. Look at verse 5. He's stooping down. And what, everybody? Read it with me. Looking in. Now, when, when John got to the tomb and he stoops in, stoops down and he looks in, do you think he looked in kind of casually, gave it a quick glance and just kind of walked out? Was it a, sort of a case, Sarah, Sarah, laissez-faire, oh, well, no big deal? glance into that tomb and 
then he just walked away? Or do you think if he's looking into the tomb where Jesus was laid and now it's empty, what do you think it means when it says he looked into? What is the intensity of the verb when it says he looked in? Do you think he was looking in as if he was seeing something from another planet? Do you think it was a strong, hard, long, intense gaze? Do you? The same verb used for John looking into that tomb is the same verb used for those of us who are believers looking into the Word. We're to look into the Word with the same wonder, the same awe, the same intensity, the same level of attention that John gazed into that tomb. That means you don't read the Bible casually. You're, you're, you're gazing intensely. You're looking at this thing. You're studying this thing. You're in awe of this thing. The Word. Peter talked about the same thing when he said, this Gospel we preach... Angels desire to, they long to look into. It's the same verb. <coughs> same exact verb. They long to look into it. Angels, if you could let them, if angels could look into what we look into, would they give it a casual glance? No, they're longing to intensely gaze into the things that we get to look at every day. So, when you're studying this Bible, everybody, when you're looking at the law of liberty, he says, Gaze at it intensely. Study it. And then once you've studied it and seen the mirror reflection of you and Jesus, then go out and do what you saw. Do what you saw. Amen? Anybody being blessed tonight? <clears throat> okay. Now he's going to really meddle with us here in, in these last verses. In chapter 2, oh no, the last two verses of chapter 1 first. He said, if you think you're religious, then you know what religion means? It comes from a word meaning careful of the externals of divine service. It has to do with appearances, what something looks like. When you talk about religion or religious people, religious people are always concerned about the externals, what something looks like. They want to look religious. They want to look spiritual. They want to appear spiritual. They'll spend $20 million on a building that looks spiritual and they won't get in it and worship God for five minutes because they're religious. Religious is always concerned about the external. So you've got the Pharisees and Sadducees, Jesus saying to them, you know, you guys, when you pray, you stand on the corners and you pray out loud, real loud. So everybody will look at you and say, aren't they spiritual? And Jesus said, you get your reward right there because God's not hearing you. What was he addressing? Religion. Because they were concerned about how they looked, not what they really were on the inside. He said, when you fast, you walk around moaning and groaning, your hair is all messed up, you look like you just lost your best friend. And the whole reason you do it is so that people will say, what's the matter? Oh, I'm just fasting. And Jesus said, you got your reward right then when they say, oh, aren't you spiritual? What were they concerned about? Religion, externals, how something looked. They were not. Jesus said, on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. You don't even have spiritual reality on the inside. 
Now, James said, you think you're religious? He said, let me tell you what religion really is. Pure speech, pure love, and pure character. If you've got the real thing, he said it's going to be that you have compassion on orphans and widows, that's love, in their trouble, that's love, and you keep yourself unspotted from the world. That is purity of character. <clears throat> he said that's the real thing. Don't worry about religion. Don't worry about what something looks like. You know, folks, we've got to get to the place where we say to ourselves, I don't care what people think anymore. <clears throat> I don't even care what they think. All you've got to do is get criticized big time, just a few times, and you'll get to the place where you say, you know what, I care about one person's opinion. Just one person's opinion is all I really care about. Because people will be so harsh on you. Let me tell you something. I used to wonder about David when he counted the people and God gave him a choice. What do you want? you want to be turned over to the people and their judgment? Or do you want to be turned over to me? David said, ha, 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 you. And then God poured out a plague. And I used to wonder, why did David do that? I mean, he should have said to the people of his kingdom, you know, have mercy on me. No, no. He knew. They would tear him up. It says in John's Gospel, I read it this week, Jesus was passing through a certain town and they wanted to make him king. And it says he did not submit himself to them. And then it says this, for he knew what was in men. Then we hear Paul saying, saying, all have forsaken me. All have forsaken me. And then he said to Timothy something I used to think was hugely cynical. He said, all seek their own. Only Timothy has a spirit like mine. But everyone else, the vast majority of people, seek their own. If you think they don't, get into an oven with them and watch as they drop like flies the hotter the oven gets. Let me tell you something, folks. You can have 100 people in your life and maybe two will stick with you when their own backside gets in trouble. Pastor Jeff, you're being pretty cynical. Oh, no. I'm going to tell you something. I know. I know. I know better than I wish I knew. But I know. I know. I know. So you get to the place where you say, all right, well then whose opinion am I supposed to worry about? be concerned about. Only one. That's why Paul came along and said, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that it's from Him you're going to receive the reward of the inheritance. There's not a human on earth that's going to reward you on that day. They're going to be standing in the same line you are, waiting for their crowns or lack thereof. So you get to the, listen, folks, you get to the place where you think, all right, I don't really care what anybody else thinks, but I really do care what he thinks. What does he think about this? What would he say to me about this? People are fickle. They're so fickle. You're a hero one day, zero the next. They're patting you on the one back one day and stabbing you in the back the next. There is none faithful, very few, ever. Doesn't matter who you are. You'll find out real quick how expendable you really are. If you ever get to the place where you say, oh, you know, I'm just so good at what I do, I'm just, I'm just not expendable. 
Nobody can replace me. Oh, let me just get my pen out right now and come poke your balloon. I don't care how good you are, how talented you are, how bright you are, they'll write you off, send you off to pasture and move on without blinking twice. That's human nature. A dog will be more faithful to you than a human. That's what I like about my little dog. You know, you can go out there and people tear you to pieces. You come home, I, you know... I wish I was who he thinks I am. <laughs> my little, my little uh, Chihuahua. Oh, I just love that little dog. <clears throat> I picked him up before I came here. I said, I, I got to go, baby. And see, he wants to go with me because I've, I've spoiled him. Because at least once a day I put him in the car or I put on a, I put on a little um, um, jogging uh, suit. And I, and I tuck him in like a little pouch, zip it up, up to his neck, and, and his little head with his gremlin ears hangs out as we walk. And uh, um, he's, just, he's just a dog. But here's what I, what I like about dogs. No matter how you're feeling about yourself, no matter how people treat you, they still think the same of you. They really treat us the way the mirror tells me I'm supposed to treat people. They really do. Uh, you know, we're supposed to love people whether or not they fail. We're supposed to love them whether or not they stumble. We're supposed to love them whether or not they're in a bad mood or a good mood. You know, the, the way a dog convicts you is you, you can be in a bad mood and snap at them and they come up and lick you. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to snap. So it gets right down to it, folks. Trust me, I'm 51 years old. I've been in this thing since I was 18. I'm going to tell you tonight. I'm telling you from the Word and from experience. People turn on you. They're fickle. They'll be disloyal in a heartbeat. There's one opinion you ought to care about, and that's His. And as long as you know you're right with Him, you can stand tall and go anywhere and do anything and be bold as a lion because you know you're right with Him. Let the chips fall. That's what I appreciate about our president. He has a center. Whether or not you agree with Iraq and all of that, forget all that just for a second. He's got a center. Uh, I, I went and spent a couple of hours with um, James Robinson, just in his office alone. And uh, he counsels President Bush. They meet. And James said one of the key things I've had to do in his life is teach him to have a place of prayer and to go there regularly and pray. He has a center. A center. And when you've got a center, then things can happen all around you. But they do not dictate what you do. Your center does. That core, that, that core value system that God puts in you so that no matter what happens around you, you act from that center, those core values, not the opinions of people. If Jesus had not had a center, of course, He was the center, but if He had not had that center, 
Look at the opinions of people and all the things that could have shifted him and kept him from the cross, even his own disciples. Far be it from you to go to the cross. And he said, I rebuke you, Satan. I've got a center. I know who I am. I'm here to go to the cross. So I can't listen to you. We need that center, folks. When you've got that center, you're not moved by the opinion of people. Let me move on quickly. Chapter 2, first nine verses. He's talking to us about showing partiality to people. Now listen carefully. James, I told you in the beginning of this series, is going is to focus a lot on how we treat people socially. How we treat different people. People who are not like us at all. Steve said here at the beginning, he said, you know, we've got uh, uh, many different races, ethnic backgrounds here. Uh, well, of course, that's the way it ought to be. It's exactly the way it ought to be. But you know, there are churches in Fort Worth, and I've had people come to me and tell me about these churches, that if you're African American and go in there, you're going to feel completely out of place, and they're going to let you know before long that that's not where you ought to be. You ought to be uh, uh, at their mission work downtown. Something like that. Or whatever it is. They happen, but they're, they're, they are not practicing what James is teaching here. I want, I want a huge mix. Because Jesus died for all. It's absurd to think. He would, he would uh, say to one, no, you go over to this church. Listen, it ought not be, Sunday ought not be the most segregated day of the week. Never. I, if you want to get a curse from God on your church, quick. Carry that opinion around with you. So he says, if you show partiality, then you're judging the value of a person by worldly standards. Now I'm going to do something here. James says, if you judge somebody for the color of their skin or their financial status, he says if they're poor, if they're not as well off as you, if you judge them for that, you have just revealed that you have evil thoughts. You're judging like a worldly person. Because everybody has the same value in the kingdom of God. Now what I've got here is I've got two $10 bills. Okay? Now, we could pretend they're $100 bills. They're not. They're 10s. <clears throat> this one is in perfect condition. Isn't it pretty? It'd be prettier for the hundred. Here's the other ten. Now here's what I'm going to do with this ten. I'm going to wad it all up. I'm going to throw it on the ground. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to abuse it. I'm going to treat it bad. I'm going to really mess it up. This is what happens to a lot of people out there in that world. They get stepped on. They get hurt, they get wounded, they get wrinkled, they get abused. After a while, they don't look like the original. They are battered and shattered and tattered, hurt, broken. So I want to ask you something. If I click this one and I click this one and I threw them both out there, they both have the same value? No matter what condition they're in. Does that still have the same value as this one? 
Matter of fact, I know for a fact, if I took this and threw it out there and said, I don't want it anymore, we'd have some fights out there. And it wouldn't make any difference if it was this one or that one. Now, now here's Jesus at the foot of the cross. You got these. You got these. And you got everything in between. But they all have the same value at the foot of the cross. And God loves them all the same. And you know what? Just like you would take this one or this one, God takes this one and this one and says, same value. Now, when these walk in the church door, they're not dressed like... They may have tattoos head to toe. They may have green hair, purple hair, orange hair, yellow hair, no hair. They may have earrings hanging off the ears, the nose, the lips. They walk in and they sit down. Now, here's what James said. Here's what y'all are doing. You're taking these and you're putting them way back on the back row. And you're taking these and you're putting them on the front row and you're valuing them by worldly standards, not God. Here's what Jesus would do when these walk in. He'd put this one here and he'd put this one here. James said, don't do anything else. Because if you put this one back there, you have, you're showing you have evil thoughts. You're judging them by worldly standards. And he says, it's evil. It's wrong. So don't show partiality based on somebody being damaged or whole, good-looking, not good-looking, talented, not talented, rich, poor. Uh-uh. They all have the same value. Amen? So, we're closing verse 9. Let's look at it. <clears throat> if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Well, I don't know about you all, but when these walk in, I want to honor them and love them. How many of you were one of these and walked in one day? <clears throat> were you? I know I was. Had hair down here. Skinny as a rail. Wasted. All kinds of problems, but I found a place that loved this bill when it walked in. And I went into some churches, I felt what James was talking about, and I knew I needed to leave. Listen, I'd rather go where I'm celebrated, not tolerated. And so I found a place that took the broken and the shattered and loved them just the same. And places like that had a whole lot to do with restoring me. And so that's the kind of church we want to be here. When they walk in those doors, it doesn't matter. They have the same value to God. Amen? Can we stand up together tonight? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that Jesus came to die for everyone. Lord, we thank You that when we look into the Bible, it's like a mirror. We see Him, and we see ourselves held up against Him. Lord, help us to, when we put the mirror down, go out and do what we heard, and not just be a hearer cheating ourselves. Lord, when the tattered and the shattered and the broken walk in, help us to love them and give them the same value and the same attention as the others. We are all one at the foot of the cross.
In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to dismiss you. Get into the mirror.